0: This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting from the studio at Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. I'm Gordon Teeson. I'm in the studios of Nebraska Christian Schools, and along with me today is Pastor Eric Raymond. Eric, welcome to the program. Thanks, Gordon. Good to be here. Well, Eric, this morning he spoke to our students at Nebraska Christian, and in a few minutes we'll talk about that sermon and actually play that for our listeners. But for now, I'd like to introduce you and have you talk a little bit about your ministry. Eric Raymond is in Omaha at Emmaus Bible Church. He is the lead pastor at Emmaus Bible Church. And Eric, if you could just take a few moments for our listeners and talk about what's going on at Emmaus Bible, where where it's located in Omaha, Mm -hmm. and just some of the ministry activities that are going on.
1: Sure, you bet. We are right there in the heart of South Omaha right next to South High School on about 24th and L. We just recently moved there about six months ago. There were a church plant that was meeting in a high school down in Bellevue, and we're looking for property, and it, as God would have it, there was a Presbyterian church that's been in the neighborhood in South Omaha for 125 years, and they were looking to, to sell their building and move on because it was, it was very difficult to maintain mm-hmm. the building with their current status. And so they, they put it on the market, and it was perfect timing as the Lord would have it. We were able to afford it and move in there. And so we just love it historic building beautiful stained glass old architecture it's just wonderful so we're there right right in the heart of a neighborhood so we have a whole new community around our church community so we're really excited about that and there's really not very many evangelical churches in the the downtown area so we're very excited about the opportunity there for the gospel to advance so we've been just really praying and thinking and uh, as we engage neighbors in the community and talk to different folks there. We um, emphasize in the gospel obviously and the centrality of the gospel and us as missionaries to to live in response to that. So we gather together for Sunday and then we scatter mm-hmm. for mission. And uh, so we, we're setting up gospel communities, which are uh, basically a group of people that are living together on mission, reaching out to community around us there in that community. So there's actually a a couple of them meeting there and more starting up. So we're really excited about that. And then just continued influence in Southern Omaha and then into Bellevue, Papillion, La Vista. So really excited. Just, uh, we just had our birthday this month. So we're really excited. One year birthday as a church. And it's really, really exciting what the Lord's doing.
0: Now you're also a pretty well-known blogger. I think your website is ordinarypastor.com. And just Talk to our listeners about how you got into blogging, what kind of, I guess, traffic, what kind of people will read your blog, and what sort of your objective is as a pastor who writes a blog.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The Early on, I mean, it's been it's 2006, so I guess that's six and a half years now that I've been writing there. It's hard to believe it's that long. The goal initially was to try to string together some uh, coherent thoughts that might be helpful to work into things and understand them better and I was meeting with a number of men and I found myself repeating myself in these meetings so Mm -hmm. I'd say you know maybe I can just write some of these things out and you can go check this at this website and and we can continue the conversation Mm -hmm. and try to help them so I was trying to have a broader impact of discipleship with the the guys I was meeting with and then it just kind of caught on a little bit with more people in the local church which I was really excited about because that's Mm -hmm. where it needed to benefit first Mm And then from there, over the 2000s, probably six and seven, it, it caught on with some of the well-known bloggers. That was really the early days of the reformed blogosphere when it was kind of Christ-centered, gospel-centered blogging was really taking off. So I got connected with a few guys, and they would promote it. And thankfully, that, that happened. But it actually changed the scope of what I was trying to do. I mean, I was really trying to keep it small, local church stuff. And it ended up, you know, there's readers from all over the world. I just got an email yesterday from a guy in Singapore that his church is using it Hmm. and uh you know they're reading articles and sending them out and he wants to connect and do an interview and you know I I got a guy in Baltimore that I'm friends with that because of the blog Hmm. that's coming out to visit us and wants to check out the church. So there's opportunities there and countless people move to Bellevue or Omaha, and then they come because their pastor at their previous church said, I read this guy's blog, go to the church. So beyond what mm-hmm. I would have thought, and then the friendships and everything that happened there. But in terms of objective, there's a lot of different things you can do with a blog. You know, if traffic is your goal, there's a way to do that. And mm-hmm. if there's a, 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 you know, your desires to write about you, then you can do that. But my, my thing is, it's a discipline for me to try to meditate upon, think upon the passages of scripture, and then try to write devotional articles that exalt Christ and try to encourage our local church. In the process of that i get to review books i like doing that and i like just thinking about a gospel shaped life what does that look like to be impacted and formed by the gospel so there's ways to interact with the news and that so it's a good discipline it's fun to do mm-hmm. i enjoy i like to write and uh, the blog seems like it's been helpful and it definitely helps me as a pastor as a relatively young guy that is able to to think through some things even before preaching
0: well, what's been one of your maybe favorite posts or maybe one that's been most popular or helpful To your readers?
1: Yeah, strangely, well, a lot of strange ones, but I wrote a series early on called How to Live a Miserable Christian Life. And uh, that was, that really caught on. So I'm I'm putting some thoughts together on a book on that because it's, it really, really caught on. But, you know, little things like, um, Well, the fat pastor series was big, Uh, no pun intended, but how to, why not to
0: be a fat pastor? And so that was good. Well, again, that website is ordinarypastor.com. You can also catch Eric and his church at Emmausbiblechurch.org. And the other thing before we play your message, Eric, could you kind of set up today's message for our listeners so they Mm -hmm. understand why you preach this particular passage today for our students?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, particularly so this is a high school group and really want to make sure that worldview is able to be focused in on and shaped. And one of the common questions you get are why do, you know why these bad things happen? Why are relationships broken? And so it's it's kind of easy just to, to look at it and say, That's just the way it is. Well, I want to push it and say, Well, why? Give me a biblical answer. So I wanted to show how the Bible addresses the question and how it answers it. So at the beginning of the Bible, there's a fracture in a relationship with God, and every other relationship fracture comes out of that. So showing in Genesis 3 where the curse comes, and why the curse is, because of our sin, and God's goodness, he must judge sin. And so he does. And so every other relationship from God to Mm -hmm. Adam and Eve to God and Satan is fractured from there. But in the in that time, there is a promise that there's going to be one that's going to bring rest, that's going to crush the head of the serpent, It's going to bring relief, and that, of course, is Jesus. And the Apostle Paul would pick up on this in Galatians, saying that he'd be made a curse for us. Mm-hmm. And then he would bring his people to a place where there is nothing any longer cursed in the, the new heavens and the new earth. So how does that happen, and how does God use even the natural disasters like hurricanes, tornadoes, fires, and broken relationships that could come How does he use that for his glory, and how does he use Christ to fix that? So that's kind of the setup, and hopefully just shaping some of the kids' worldview on
0: those things. With that, let's join Eric with today's message.
1: Our Father, we thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for these students. I thank you for the opportunity to visit with them and talk about your Word and talk about what your Word says. I thank you for songs that we can sing that are true, that speak of the greatness of you, your character, that you are the creator, that you are the redeemer, and you are the one who knows each and every one of us. We thank you that you are such an awesome God who not only made everything, but that also speaks to us and is close to us, that we can hear your word and know your heart. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit, which guides us into truth, helps us to understand you, and leads us to love and serve Jesus. And I pray for these students this morning that they might be encouraged in the word, equipped even, and better serve to love you and follow after Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to get this morning at a couple of questions just on the front end to ask some questions to kind of engage your your thinking. But to let you know where I'm going, I was thankful to see the the mission statement here on the wall that says the mission of Nebraska Christian Schools is to assist the family and church by providing a Christ-centered education, equipping students with a biblical worldview, encouraging a love relationship, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to focus on that word, biblical worldview. And that is a a very important thing for even forming and thinking your minds as you look at the world, as you watch the news, as you engage with other people, as you get ready to graduate from school and to go on to college and university studies or go into the workplace. Worldview is how you view the world, how you think, and how you interact with what's going on. So to get at that, the importance of it, I'm going to ask three questions you don't have to answer, but maybe just answer in your mind. Okay, number one. Why does somebody walk by a car on a street, see something in the back seat of value, let's say it's a, an iPod or an iPhone or a laptop, look around, jimmy the door, get in and take it, and walk off with it? Why do they do that? Number two. Why did Joplin, Missouri get destroyed by a tornado about two years ago. Why? Number three, why does a teenage girl or guy get mad at mom or dad, storm off from a conversation, slam the door, and go in the room? Why? Why do mums and dads get in an argument, raise their voice, yell at each other, and not talk at each other for a couple of weeks or days? Why? That's worldview stuff. And I'll tell you, as I talk to unbelievers and I interact with people, the, one of the number one questions we get is, why did a tornado come through? Why is there so much pain? I was talking to some students around the high school right next to our church building. I was asking them, let's just talk about Bible questions. Let's, let's talk. And these are unbelievers. They've never been in a church. I said, give me some questions. Why does my mom's life stink? Why do my mom and dad in a fight? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? So, I ask the question, why? Why did these things happen? The short answer is found in the beginning of the Bible. Uncovering that. And the rest of the Bible answers the question, shows how God's going to do and deal with that problem. So let's go to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. I want to read just a section of Scripture that's probably familiar to you. And then I want to just tease out some things from that to answer those questions. I still haven't answered the question why those things happen yet. But let's look at Genesis chapter 3. Prior to this, God created everything out of nothing. And if you read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, after everything God made, He says it was what? Good. Just over and over again. And finally, at the end of chapter 1, in verse 31, He says it was very good. So that means there's no problems. Everything's good. Then chapter 3 rolls around and we know that things go like this pretty quickly, right? Right off the cliff. And you're probably quite familiar with the story where the serpent, which is Satan, comes and deceives Eve. And let's go ahead and just read, picking up in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say to you, You shall eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and there was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make her wise, she took of its fruit and ate She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above the livestock and above the beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, the dust you shall eat. And all the days of your life, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I shall surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it. All the days of your lives, thorns, thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken for your dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, a couple of things happen in there. In short, Adam and Eve did what they weren't supposed to do. What do we call that? Sin. When we don't do what God has called us to do, or, on the other hand, we do what God says we're not supposed to do. So it's breaking His law. So they sin, and immediately they do what? They hide. Now this is a break from everything else in this, because prior to this, it says that God used to walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, and they had a relationship. So immediately upon their sin, what happens? Broken. And perhaps you've experienced this maybe with parents or with friends. When you have that relationship, and somebody does something to you, or you do something to them, it's awkward, right? There's a relationship break and either you've done something to them or they've done something to you and it's uncomfortable, there needs to be a fix. So it's a similar situation here with God, but fundamentally we disobey Him, We, we break that relationship, and now there is a gulf between the two. There needs to be a bridge. There needs to be reconciliation. So they hide. Instead of dealing with the problem, they're hiding from God. God pursues Him in His grace, confronts the situation, and deals with it. And then He deals with three individuals. First, He deals with who? The serpent. Who's the serpent? Satan. Satan. And he says, you are what? What's the word he gives you in verse 14? Cursed. Cursed. Satan is cursed. So now you have the snake on the ground. So there's a curse by God onto Satan. Number two, to the woman. He deals with her and he's going to give her pain. So you would say this is another. It starts with a C. What is it? Curse. She's going to have pain in childbearing and other things. And then, thirdly, to Adam, because of what's happened, verse 17, you're also what? Starts with a C? Cursed. Cursed. We learn from other passages in the Bible not only was the serpent cursed, not only was Eve cursed, not only was Adam cursed, but all of earth was cursed. Romans chapter 8 is another passage you can just put in your mind. Paul says, the entire creation is groaning with anticipation of it being fixed. The world's cursed. What does it mean to be cursed? Cursed is judgment. So, backing up to my original questions, why does the slamming of the door, why breaking in the car? why the tsunamis, why the tornadoes, why the hurricanes? What's the answer? It's cursed. Because of our sin, relationships, just like Adam and Eve, broke. Fundamentally with God and then all the other relationships. Why do people have relationship issues? Ultimately, it's because of sin. It's a breakdown of the number one relationship which is between humanity and God. That's broken. And now the the fracture goes out to the side to other relationships. Why does the world have tsunamis and tornadoes and hurricanes and droughts? You ever notice you can have wildfires in Colorado? You can have flooding in Florida. You can have tornadoes in Missouri. And you look at this and you say, this whole world, is filled with all types of topsy-turvy issues. this turbulence. Why is the reason? It's because the world is cursed. And you look at it and say, well, why in the world would God curse the world? What kind of God is this that He curses the world? Do you ever think about that? Maybe this is all God's fault. Maybe God's messing up the families. Maybe God's breaking in the cars. Maybe God's causing the tsunamis. Maybe God's doing this. Is it His fault? We get into worldview, you got to think like that because that's how a lot of unbelievers think, and that's how a lot of professors at colleges think. What's the reason? Well, it's not God's fault. What's the cause of this? Everything was really good, chapter one, chapter two of Genesis, chapter three, the curse comes, and things are not really good. So whose fault is it? Man's fault. It's our fault. So the problem of evil, the problem of a a broken down world, the problem of bad relationships, the problem with issues, comes down to a three-letter word. What's the three-letter word? Sin. That's why it is the way it is. And if it was just like that and we lived in this big tent that it's all in sin and we're just waiting to circle the drain and all go down the drain and just be washed away forever in a hopeless world, that would be really sad and hopeless, wouldn't it? But even in this verse that is saying, curse, 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 it's like a dirge. You know what a dirge is, right? It's like a funeral song, and the music is very somber. This is like a dirge. Curse, curse, curse. But in the middle of that dirge, it's like all of a sudden somebody grabs the drums and just goes, phew, 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 and then hits the guitar note or the saxophone or whatever you want, and it's just like, yeah, Excitement. Because there's a glimmer of hope. In the stuffy room, the door is open. The window lets some fresh air in. And it's verse 15. Look what it says. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Talking to the serpent. Between you and the woman. Satan and the woman. Between your offspring, that's Satan, and her offspring. Literally seed. Between your seed and her seed. He, that is the seed of the woman, shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. So he's setting up for the heavyweight fight of the world. The seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent. There's going to be a battle. And God predicts at the beginning that as a result of this curse, the seed of the woman is going to have his heel, that is his foot, is going to be crushed and there's going to be pain. So not without pain. But in the midst of that battle, what's he going to do? He's going to crush the head. So at the beginning of the Bible, they're saying, hey, there's a curse, there's problem, it's no longer very good, but i got good news for you, there's a promise. There's a promise that through Eve, there's going to be coming one who is going to bring rest, who's going to crush the serpent, who's going to reverse the curse and give life. It's going to go from very bad to very good again. But he's going to do that and it's going to be painful to him. He himself is going to feel the bruise on his heel. So, Christian high school students, who are we talking about here? Jesus is the one who comes in the line of Adam. We learn when we read Matthew's Gospel, the descendants, the lineage going back, goes back to Abraham. We read in Luke's Gospel, he's making the point that we're going all the way back to Adam. Jesus is the offspring of Eve as a man, fully God, holy man. He comes in that line and he's got a serious job to do. 1 John chapter 4 says he comes to destroy the works of the devil. He comes to crush the head. He comes to crunch the head. He comes to destroy Satan. He comes to deal with the curse. So all the problems in the world, whether we're talking about relationship issues or weather issues or theft issues or corrupt politician issues or whatever, all comes back to sin, and God has a plan to deal with sin specifically the curse, through Jesus. Now this is really good news. You might just get tempted to look at this and say, well, this is dealing with the bad kids or the bad people. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible makes the point that coming out of Genesis 3, we're all in this. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all not done what is right. And when Jesus comes, He comes for sinners like us to live in our place And die in our place. And I want to show you a verse in in Galatians. We just have a couple more verses to look at. Galatians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul talking about this same concept. Reaching back to Genesis. And to the Old Testament law. And listen to what he says in verse 13. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. Christ redeemed us or purchased us from the curse of the law by becoming a cursed For us, you hear what he's saying? He's got the issue of the curse. Judgment. God's judgment on this world. And he says, listen, Jesus dealt with the biggest problem facing all of humanity. The issue of the broken relationship between man and God. The curse where God judges humanity, judges people, judges us. He says Jesus dealt with that curse. How did He deal with the curse? What does it say? By becoming what? He became the curse. That means that Jesus knew before the foundation of the world that He was going to serve His Father and do the right thing to come and serve us. And His whole life was engulfed in this priority of going to the cross so that He could be the curse for sinners like us. When He goes to the cross, He's bearing our shame. He's taking the penalty for our sin. It is as if God is taking all of His just wrath and driving it down on Jesus. He's taking the curse and He's giving it to Christ. Christ upon the cross is bearing our curse. You know, one of the great ways to look at this is you saw in Genesis 3, it says that the ground formerly was favorable to man. They could go out and they could plow and they could grow things and everything was good, right? I've tried to have a garden before and all these things grow up in the garden, right? What are they called? Weeds. And sometimes if you don't take care of that spot after a year or two, then you get thorns, thistles, all kinds of stuff. What God is communicating in Genesis is that prior to this, the ground was good. Just like man was good, we obeyed God, we did what we were supposed to do. But now, just like our heart that was formerly submissive to God, the ground is now unsubmissive to man. Man's not ruling the ground anymore. Man's dealing with a ground that is unsubmissive and problematic. There's thorns, there's weeds, there's issues. The ground itself is cursed. And every day when man has to go out and deal with his food and, and harvest, and do, he's got to deal with thorns, thistles, ground in a world around him that's not submissive. The thorns are a symbol of the curse. But what do we see in Matthew chapter 27 when Jesus is upon the cross? Let me read it to you. It says in Matthew 27, verse 28, "...they stripped Him and put a scarlet robe on Him and twisting together a crown of what? Thorns. They put it on His head and put a reed in His hand and they knelt before Him mocking Him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spat on Him and they took His reed and they struck Him on the head. He's there getting ready to go on the cross. He's stripped of His clothes. He has nothing but spit upon His face. He's bearing the curse of man. People are mocking Him, making fun of Him, doing everything. This is humanity at His worst before Jesus whose humanity at His best. And they take and they fashion a crown of thorns. That's the absolute perfect thing to put on Jesus' head. Why? Because the thorns come from the curse. And here is Jesus being made a curse for us. So there upon the cross, Jesus gets the crown. The crown of a curse-bearer. And they put it on Him, and there He would be hung upon the cross in open shame to everybody, bearing the thorns, bearing the curse. And there is Jesus being a curse for us. Ultimately, bearing the shame, bearing the sin, bearing the wrath, and all of the problems of humanity on His shoulder for us. So that we wouldn't have to do that. So when you look at the cross, you see Jesus as God's representative to deal with all that is wrong in humanity. Specifically for individuals like you and like me. Who have broken relationships. Who have sinned who have failed to not only do what's right, but also have done what's wrong. And this Jesus stood in the place of sinners, and, and He offers Himself to all of us that if we would turn from our sin and truly trust in Him, then He is the basis for our forgiveness. But you've got to realize you're a sinner, and you've got to realize that Christ is a substitute. But not only does He save individuals, He also is going to fix all of the world. Turn back to the very end of your Bible, Revelation chapter 22. You see how He fixes everything. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His names will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or the sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. We get the beginning of the Bible. Everything's good. Man sins. There's curse. There's judgment. There's issues. And here at the end, there's no more tears. There's no more issues. There's nothing cursed. The trees are for the healing of the nations. The ground is conducive to harvest and enjoyment and the presence of God and everything. He has totally fixed everything. But in the process of doing that, He had to come. And He had to live for us. He had to die for us. And He had to rise again. And now we're at this point of time where the Gospel call goes out to everybody. And says, hey listen, every single one of us is cursed. What are you going to do about that? Either you turn from your sin and trust Jesus Christ and follow Him. Or you will be judged at the end. And you will go to a place the Bible calls hell where there's eternal fire and gnashing of teeth. The presence of God and the enjoyment of everything being restored is for those who have trusted Jesus Christ, put their faith in Him, seen their sin, and longed to serve Him. On the other side is judgment. You need to make sure that you're trusting Jesus Christ. Truly trusting and treasuring Him for what He's done for you. Becoming your curse. Bridging that ultimate relationship.
0: You've been listening to a message by Pastor Eric Raymond from Emmaus Bible Church in Omaha, Nebraska, also at OrdinaryPastor.com. You've been listening to Truth in Focus. For my co-host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Thiessen. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus.